Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're in this series, uh, a Lent series that we just called Living a Cross-Shaped Life. And this is our scripture. Can we read this together? Because this is going to guide us today. It's, it's found again in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 35. Let's read this together. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So if you've been with us, you know, we've been walking through this and we've been unpacking, you know, all of this. And as we get closer and closer to Palm Sunday next week and then Holy Week with Good Friday, we come to this moment where Jesus, he has this statement. It's a statement that, he, that he's been talking about. It's one that I touched on briefly last week. But it's one that just as I began preparing, this wasn't originally part of the series to go in, but just as I began praying about it, just, I just felt like the Lord was calling us to lean into this a little bit. And it's echoed in probably one of the most famous statements of Jesus in Luke 23, 34. And it's a statement that stood out. It's a statement that caused some people to believe more in him, and it's a statement that caused some to hate him all the more. But it's this statement. When Jesus hanging on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was a statement that really took a lot of people off guard, that really kind of, those that walked alongside, those that saw everything that happened, whether you were for Jesus or you were against Jesus, this was the one that just, it really blew all their minds, because when you follow the life of Christ, and he's looking down from the cross, torturing everything that he went through. I mean, we can kind of minimize it, but when we think about it, and that's really what Holy Week is about. It's about remembering everything that Jesus went through. He was tortured. He was falsely accused. He was lied about. He was betrayed. So many things happened. How could he stand up there, the only one innocent, on a cross, look down from the cross with thieves on either side and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, the generosity of Christ to forgive was so challenging. And I think it was especially challenging to his disciples. If you remember, if you've gone through, you know that, that, in, that in the, this is in the moment when the disciples, they were scattering, they were denying him, they were walking away. Their life got shook upside down because they did not expect Jesus to walk in this way. And I think they identified and they pulled out one of the biggest challenges that we have with forgiveness because one of the biggest challenges that we have, the biggest challenge of forgiveness is our call for justice. Now, is God just? Yes. But as it relates to forgiveness, there are so many that struggle with it because they're like, forgiveness, yes, but what about justice? And again, this was the world that Jesus, that he stepped into. Jesus stepped into a world that when you look at the Jewish people, these were a people that had a long history of pain, slavery, persecution. I mean, when you look to the book of Exodus, we have a history of the Jewish nation being slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. This was the nation that a Jewish person stepped in and saved them from the drought, and now only to be succumbed to over 400 years of slavery. Then there was the Babylonian exile, where King Nebuchadnezzar, he actually attacked Jerusalem, burned down the city, 
burned down the temple, tore down the walls, and executed many of the Jewish leaders and took many into captivity. The Bible says in 2 Kings 25, leaving only the poor to till the soil for the king. And, and throughout all this time, there were prophecies of the Messiah, the Messiah who would come, who would save the people, who would bring justice to the land. All the prophets talked about it. The Psalms talked about the Messiah who would come and make things right. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is one of the most famous ones. I know we often sing it at Christmas, but every day is Christmas, isn't it? Isaiah 9, it says, Of the greatness of, a, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. So they heard this and they believed it. And now they're wanting justice. And the promised Messiah shows up. So they're ready for justice to sweep through the land. But King Jesus, instead of establishing his armies, instead of swinging a sword and mobilizing, one of the main things that Jesus talked about was forgiveness. He talked about forgiveness. It was in his parables. It was, it was in his teaching. And it even preceded some of his healings. I mean, when you read about Jesus, the evidence of Jesus being the Son of God was so overwhelming. He did so many miracles. But we have this account in Matthew 9 where, where, where friends bring their, uh, their paralyzed friend to be healed by Jesus. But Jesus does something surprising to them. Because even though they brought this man in, he's on a stretcher, he's obviously in great need. In Matthew 9, 2, Jesus looks at the man and the first thing he says is, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. It's, I'd be like, okay, Jesus, that's good, but can you see that he's paralyzed? Don't you care that he's paralyzed? I mean, this is the need that we brought. I mean, this shocked the people. It made the religious leaders angry. In 9.3, it says, the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Yes, he does. And then after that, Jesus went on to heal the man. And he said, it says that then Jesus, he turned to the paralyzed man. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And what the man do? The man jumped up. Wouldn't you love to see that? <laughs> just the, he just, he jumps up. And he picks up his mat, and he goes home. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that our greatest need is not justice. Our greatest need is not physical healing or any of these things that are external. What Jesus is saying is that our greatest need that we have, the greatest need that I have, is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. But unfortunately, uh, this need it fell on deaf ears because despite all the miracles that Jesus did, despite the grace that he showed, despite his love that he had for everyone, it was his unwillingness to swing a sword, to take on the Roman government that caused people to even, it caused them to even disbelieve that he was the Messiah because he, wasn't, he, because he didn't do this. It caused them to believe that he didn't care about justice and ultimately it caused them to kill Jesus on the cross. And even today, there are many today that believe that forgiveness should be eradicated because it eliminates justice. See, for some, their biggest complaint with Christianity 
is they say it's just a forgiveness culture. You guys don't care about anything. It's just forgive, forgive, right? We, we talk about turning the other cheek. We talk about blessing those who curse you and love your enemy. And their critique of Christians, though these things are very hard. How many of you are awesome at turning the other cheek? You know, anybody here? <laughs> but when we use those words, many would say, doesn't this just let the offenders off? Just turn the other cheek. Why would Jesus focus on forgiveness? Why is forgiveness so very important? I believe that forgiveness is so important because forgiveness is the only hope that we have in changing the world. See, some think that signs and wonders and miracles, that boy, if we just have more signs and wonders, more miracles, more of these things, that this will do it. And while the Bible is clear, and even I know people, that, that this has done a lot to help them believe, miracles don't always result in a changed life, and they don't always result in changing the world around us. I mean, look back to the Old Testament, Pharaoh. Did, did miracles help Pharaoh come to this conclusion? I mean, though Moses did many miracles, the heart of Pharaoh grew harder and harder with each miracle and more angry against God. And in Luke 16, Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus where the rich man, he begged for someone to go and to warn his brothers so that they would believe. But the response was, if they won't listen to Moses and they won't listen to the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus even warned that there would be people that would seek after signs and wonders and that they would be there because they were just out to get something for themselves. John 6, 26, it says, After Jesus, he fed the multitudes and, and the large crowd followed him to the other, other side of Galilee. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked them and he said, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And there's one version that says, you're just out for, out for your stomach. <laughs> you're just out, out to fill yourself. You're being led by your stomach. It's not about me. It's not about surrendering to me. It's just about yourself. See, healings are great. I've experienced healing. I think I've said it before that as a small child, I was going blind. My dad brought me, who was healed as a baby, he brought me to, uh, before to the elders of the church. They anointed my head with oil, and my sight was restored. And then computers ruined my eyesight. So. <laughs> right? These are wonderful things. They are great, but they don't always do it. I mean, that's why, I mean, you, 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 you can raise up all the people, you can conquer every land, and you can charge everybody around you that's done something to you, but without forgiveness, any change that occurs will be short-lived at best. I mean, the history of the world has proven this. I was reading about Bishop Desmond Tutu, and, and he's, he's known around the world for his work in South Africa as being anti-apartheid and human rights. And in 1984, I'm an 80s kid, in 1984, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts in South Africa to end apartheid. And in all of his work, and even having a short, for a short time being jailed for his efforts, this is the conclusion that he came to in all of this. Desmond Tutu says, without forgiveness, there is no future. When you looked at South Africa, South Africa and everything going on, the cycle of violence, he said, without forgiveness, we have no future. See, Bishop Tutu, he was not out for revenge. 
He was out for a cultural change. He was out to end the cycle of violence that was taking place. And he knew that without forgiveness, the abusers still own you and have control over you. And those of you who've walked through this, you may already know that when you've been abused, when you've been hurt by somebody, they got you once when they hurt you. But then they got you again with the bitterness and the hatred that came inside of you. I think many of us have been there. Because this hatred, this bitterness, it gets a grip on your life. That's why it's so difficult, even when we, when we may have walked through some things. Have you ever had some triggers come up in your life? And you're like, man, what's, why did I feel that way? See, only true forgiveness can release you from the grip. One of the reasons why Jesus talked about this so much is because this powerful truth of forgiveness, it helps. Forgiving others, it, it helps us. It is such a big part of us growing and us developing as disciples of Jesus, of being equipped, being, living out this John 10, 10 life to the full. You know, one of my favorite quotes about this is from uh, Philip Yancey. Many of you, you may have read his book, but here's what he says. He says, in a cruel irony, a refusal to forgive works most powerfully against the wrong party. Maybe you've experienced this, right? Where someone hurts you and then they move on, but you're still back here. You're, you're still hurting, and it's working now. That's, it's a work of the enemy. It's, it's a trick of the enemy. It's his card. The card that he has is to hurt you, to put guilt in your life. The enemy has one card in his deck. I mean, there, it may be manifested different ways, but it's just a guilt card. It's just throwing it down. And if he can turn our hearts to be unforgiving, he knows he owns us. See, unforgiveness hurts us because it's the seed that it grows and it strangles every bit of life from us. And it spreads to those around us. That's why bitterness, rage, and anger, they're the tools that Satan uses. But we combat it by forgiving, by walking in these forgiving ways. See, we need to recognize that when we walk in forgiveness, when we look at everything Jesus has done, we are now aligning ourselves with Jesus. When we walk, anything that we do to walk in the ways of Jesus, we're walking in a well-grooved path of strength and of power. When we model our lives after Jesus, that's why Christian means to be like Christ, because we're now walking in his power, we're now walking in his strength, we're now flowing in the spirit that he has laid out, that he's filled us with, that we're, we're walking in. So any alignment, when we walk in forgiveness, when we walk in obedience to Christ, we're walking in the power position. This is the power position that Jesus has for us. That's why it's so important that we walk in this way. I mean, because the Bible is very clear that whatever we sow, we shall reap, right? As we, as we give, it comes back to us that, you know, the, if, if, if you want friends, how do you find friends? By being friendly. We're all gardeners. This is gardening season in Seattle, even though I had, my dog and I had to chase a squirrel out last week. Um, he's, I know, he's... You would have laughed even more if you saw my dog, because my dog, he's just looking for a friend. He didn't even, he didn't even chase him. But I love him. <laughs> See, our life produces whatever we cultivate. Psalm 115.8 says that we become whatever we give our attention to. Whatever we look at, whatever we focus on, that's what we become. 
That's why this is so powerful because if we're not focusing on this forgiveness, if we're focusing on something over here, we end up becoming like it. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, he says, but to you who are willing to listen, to you who are willing to listen, he says, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, give them your shirt. Give anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. How many of you are like, sign me up? (laughs) I want to be part of that team. These are the tools that Jesus has given us that are total countercultural. I mean, I've still got my shirt on. You can be thankful for that. These are the tools that Jesus has given us. Why why would Jesus, this seems so counterintuitive. He's given these things to us because forgiveness disarms your enemy. When you walk in this way, it disarms your enemy. When you forgive, it disarms those who would identify as your enemy. The only hope that we have for this world is as we drop, we forgive. See, the weapons that we use, it's, they're not physical devices. It's not the weapons of this world. It's a spiritual battle that we are in. And even as it relates to justice, because he is, he is a just God. Read through the Bible. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He can take an army of misfits and cripple nations. He has. He's not a weak God. He's not a God who backs away from stuff. He is a mighty God. He is a warrior king. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am. We could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And with that understanding with that knowledge of how powerful he is he looks at us and he says love your enemies love your enemies you want justice forgiveness is the only path to true justice see when we think about justice we can we tend to think about punishment i would say when we think about justice for the other person (laughs) when it's for us it's like please forgive me I'm not worthy of this. But when we think about true justice, we we tend to focus on punishment, and punishment at times is necessary. As I was saying last week, that you can forgive somebody and still call the police on them at times. There are people that are walking through such brokenness and so many things that you can forgive them and say, but you need to go, as Jesus said, and make things right. You're a detriment to people around you. People need protection. So I'm not discounting any of that. What I'm talking about is we stand before this today. We need to be walking in forgiveness because when you don't forgive, and I would say even when I don't forgive, for all of us, when we don't forgive, it turns into anger. And anger left unresolved turns into sin. See, anger in itself is not sinful. That's why the Bible says you can be angry, but don't sin. There was times that Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin. But anger left unresolved turns into sin, and sin will turn you 
into your enemy. You'll become the very thing that you are repulsed by. We see this over and over again. See, God, he laid out the danger of rejecting forgiveness from the very beginning. He laid this out with Cain. He warned Cain. He said to Cain, he said, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. He warned him, he said, sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. It's right there. And then God said to Cain, he said, but you must subdue it. You must be its master. And unfortunately, Cain, he chose anger because his choice was just to see him as I'm the one being wronged or I'm the one. He thought he deserved better and as a result, anger caused him to reject the voice of God. Anger caused him to reject his family and anger caused him to kill and to live a life of hardship and separation. It doesn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. But when we harbor bitterness, this is the path that we're walking in. When we harbor unforgiveness, this is the path that we're walking. When we harbor that unforgiveness, we're we're, we're stepping out of. I mean, Jesus, with everything he went through, he could have just snapped his fingers and I'm done with all of you. Starting over. Twelve disciples, you should go back to fishing. (laughs) He didn't do that. He forgave them. He walked with them. He offered it to them. And my prayer for us, because many of you, COVID was tough. You've been hurt. You've walked through a lot of stuff. And maybe you've hurt other people. And maybe there's some things there that you're walking through and you've got to process this. My prayer is as a community that we wouldn't walk in that way, that we would be free to offer forgiveness to people. That we would do the hard work, that we would be, our lives would be changed, and that we would, we would change the culture through this. Because forgiveness will change our culture because it's not found out there. They can say it. I forgive you, defriend. <laughs> right? I forgive you, cut off. I forgive you, now go find a new place to live. <laughs> but in the body of Christ, we have an opportunity. So how do we forgive? How do we walk in this? Because again, it's like the word love, right? We can, you, you, can tell, you can tell anybody, I love you. We say we love food. We say we love this. I love pancakes. <laughs> but this is a deeper love. And this is the kind of forgiveness that we're talking about. It's not just a lip service. It's not just a social media post. It's the forgiveness. How do we walk in this forgiveness? Well, well to walk in this forgiveness, here's the how-to. Walking it through, recognizing all this, seeing all this. How do we walk in forgiveness? What's the... What's, What's the methodology? Well, when we look at Christian forgiveness, there are, three, there are three aspects laid out. And Tim Keller laid out it just beautifully. He's, he's got this wonderful new book that's just titled Forgive. And boy, if you're walking through this, I encourage you to get it. With these three aspects, he dives into it deeply. But I'm going to walk through it quickly so that you don't have to forgive me for preaching long today. The first one, the first aspect is the vertical. This is God's forgiveness. All forgiveness starts with God to where we need to totally submit, totally surrender our lives to Christ so that we can experience the forgiveness. 
That comes through confession. That comes through laying it out because you can't give something you haven't received. See, we learn to forgive by first confessing and receiving it. You know, Dr. Donald Whitney, he, he, he lays this out so beautifully. He says that those who find themselves unable to forgive reveal that they've never experienced the transforming forgiveness of God. But those who are willing to forgive as God forgives may be hopeful that they've received the grace of God. And this grace, it causes them to truly want to forgive even when the flesh rages against that impulse. What is he saying? When we've truly been forgiven, when we've truly acknowledged, we've acknowledged who we are, a sinner such as I, I've been off the course, all these things that I've done, and we've confessed, and we've received that from God. Boy, that's the first step. Because then it makes you want to forgive. So that's the vertical and the second aspect is the internal. This is the, this is the granting forgiveness to anyone who's wronged us. That's why often if I'm struggling with forgiving somebody, I come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Walk in me. Reveal to me any unknown sin that I have. That prayer, David. How many are good at like justifying your own junk? That wasn't that bad. Not as bad as that guy. Not as bad as her. We can justify it or say, I'll take care of that tomorrow. One more bag of chips. You know, whatever your stuff is. We lean into it. When I do that, then I walk in granting forgiveness to anyone who has wronged me. And this is important. It's difficult. I'm not glossing over it. This is challenging. How many of you have ever had a hard time forgiving somebody? Right? I mean, everybody. If you, if you have met what I'm going to call humans, you've been hurt. It's hard. But it's so important because the Bible is very clear that our forgiveness of others is connected to God's forgiveness of us. When we walk in that forgiveness with God, that humility, that thinking of God more than myself, that decrease, that denying yourself, the evidence of that is in how I forgive others. The Jesus told some powerful parables about this. Three times in the gospel, Jesus directly connected our forgiveness of others with God's forgiveness because he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now again, this doesn't mean that we earn God's, you you cannot earn God's forgiveness, right? The disciples kept falling into this trap of trying to earn it, trying to earn it, but because our salvation is not conditional on something that you can earn. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. I can't. It is a grace gift of God. But it begins by denying ourselves, laying ourselves before Christ and saying, it's total surrender. Jesus is not your consultant. Jesus is not just your get out of jail card. It is a complete surrender of everything. That's why they'll say if the gospel didn't cost you anything, you don't have it. Because it's a total denying ourselves. Now that's walked out. There's a walking out process. But it is a a total lordship because he's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. There's nothing else. See, I would never cheat on my wife, but there's times that we will cheat on God because we'll bring these other ideas into it. And it's like God and God alone. The Bible says he's a jealous God because he's worthy of honor and glory and power and might. And so when I recognize that, when I receive that, and I've been forgiven by the King of Kings, the great I am, the one who created everything around us, boy, that'll humble me and say, yes, God, if you can forgive me, why can't I forgive others? 
So I forgive God. I walk with God. And I do what Jesus says in Matthew 10 when he said, give as freely as you've received. Receive forgiveness from God. Offer forgiveness to others, saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, help me to forgive them. I forgive them. And then that goes to a horizontal, which is our offer to reconcile. And this is a tough one, but it's also one that really kind of stood out to me. And I've talked about it several times, because part of it is just good therapy for me to remind myself. (laughs) There is a difference in forgiveness and reconciliation. We know that, right? I can forgive somebody, because if I can love my enemies, if I can forgive my enemies, I've forgiven enemies that are still enemies of mine. Anybody ever done that? You've forgiven them, and dadgummit, they just, they haven't, they haven't, nothing's changed. But I've changed. But in order for reconciliation to happen, it's two people coming together, admitting what they've done and working it out. That's called reconciliation. And I think it's important to recognize in this that it's the offer to reconcile. Because again, there are things that you can do, but there's, you, you can't do that for the other person. Because it involves confession. It's this admission of guilt, this repentance. And it brings us back to one of my favorite words. This, in, in the Greek, it's metanoia, which means it's a total change of mind. How hard is it to change your mind on something? How hard is it to change somebody else's mind on something? This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit as we surrender and as we truly confess, receiving confession, giving forgiveness, and now reconciliation. This is a work of God because it involves making things right. Reconciliation is making things right. I'm sorry. It involves repayment. It involves changing habits, whatever it takes. Like we talked about last week, if there's been this trust that's put aside, it's like, what do I have to do? What does it mean? How can we walk in this? How can we rebuild this? And this is a hard one because there are some situations where reconciliation may not happen this side of heaven. There are things that may not change, but as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, we walk in this way because we're aligning our lives with Christ. And this is so important because without forgiveness, the receiving and the giving of it. When we don't walk in this way, we fall into the pit that we talked about last week, which is a hardened heart. A heart of stone. It's supposed to be this heart of flesh. See, when your heart is working properly, it's amazing. You, even, you don't even really recognize it until something's wrong. And Jesus is saying, you need to have a heart of flesh, one that is soft and tender, that pumps, that keeps going. There's blood coming in, there's blood going out. We're walking in these ways with each other. This is the transformative work. The, the vertical, the internal, forgiving, the horizontal reconciliation. And this is hard. One sermon's not going to do it for you. Tim Keller's book's awesome. Reading his book. It's not be like, I'm an expert now. It is a lifelong process of walking out that begins with confession. See, Jesus, when he came, they were wanting him to go off, take care of those bad Romans, take care of the government, strip it down. And Jesus looked at him and said, how you doing? What's happening in your life? 
let's talk about you. Jesus changed the world through 12 disciples that were very imperfect. One even totally betrayed him. Well, they all betrayed him in some way. And it ignited a change. It takes one. It takes one person in a family to turn it around. It takes one person in your workplace to totally turn it around. It takes one person. Just sitting on a bus, just sitting on a stool, sitting down next to somebody, it takes one person to change a life. That's what Jesus did. And he said, now I'm offering this to you. That's why as it connects to revival, igniting revival, do you know what every true revival has at its core and has as its igniter? It's forgiveness. Asbury, you look back to the Welsh revivals, everything, what they talk about is men and women and children coming in and just confessing their sins one to another and just getting it right. Because when we walk in that way, the Spirit of God fills us. We don't walk to God clean. We walk to God and we get cleaned. Every moment, every day, walking in it. Revival, this renewal, this reigniting. That's why when pride shows up, that's not revival. When arrogance shows up, that's not revival. That, that humbling. I loved with the Asbury revival that, that was happening that the president came out and said, we, we, we don't want any cameras. We don't want any of this. this is, the Lord's doing something in the students here. We don't want fame. We want God to do a work in us so that his name can be famous and spread out. And it begins with confession. It begins with confession. Amen? See, forgiveness enables me to see someone as a child of God. When I forgive, I look at my enemy and say, God, that's, that, that's your son, that's your daughter. And if I walk in just in my own strength, I'm going to mess it up. I need your power in me. I need your strength in me, so forgive me. I'm going to forgive my enemies. Now, Lord, help me move in these ways. Can we all stand together this morning? Even now, let me invite you, if you're going, I need healing, I need strength, I need power, I need my life to be revived. I want to be that one person that God uses in my family. Just begin to open your heart to the Lord. And allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to sift through your heart today. It's the human heart, the spiritual heart that needs to be transformed today. And here in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And boy, I'm telling you, you want to see things change out there? It starts right here. I can't do any of this. And if I think I can do any of this, I'm going to be so crushed with anxiety, with stress, with pressure, with all kinds of stuff. It's total submission here. So let's start with the vertical. Where do you need to be forgiven today? And you may need to pray that prayer, David. God, reveal to me my unknown sin. Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it I'm hiding part of it? I'm, I've got one foot in the world and I got one foot with God. That's not how it works. You ever try to put one foot in the boat and one foot out of the boat? What, what happens? 
doesn't work that way. Where do I need to be forgiven? And in the internal, where do I need to forgive? Now, as I've freely been given, as I've freely received, I need to freely give. And as soon as I say that, there's probably a name that's popped to your heart, to your mind. Who do you need to forgive? And that could be a cycle. <laughs> Just, God, forgive me, walk in me. I have people in my life that it's been tough to forgive. You have people in your life. I may be the person in your life that's tough to forgive. <laughs> you may be the person in someone's life that is tougher than to forgive. This is the human condition. Where do I be forgiven? Where to forgive? And then this next part, what step is God asking me to take in reconciliation with someone else? Is there a step I can take? And the teams, they're going to lead a song. They're going to walk us through. Don't ignore this time. God wants to strengthen you today. He wants to heal you. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. And whether you know them or not, these are wonderful people. Go to them. Pray together. There's something about speaking it out. Don't keep everything inside. You've, you've got to get out to somebody. Or maybe there's somebody that, that is here, came with you today, or someone that you know. Go to them. Walk around and say, boy, would you help me? Would you pray for me in this today? And then go to communion and take that, break that bread, reminding you that Jesus, he died for you for this. But let's respond. Amen? How many of you want to walk in that? You're like, I'm done harboring bitterness. I'm done being buried with guilt and shame. God, we lift our hands to you as a sign of surrender. Jesus, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. God, you have the authority you have my invitation. Speak to me anything. Anything. I want to walk with you, align with you in your spirit, in your power. And it begins right here. Revive us, O Lord. It begins right here. Let's respond to the Lord today. I, mean, I recognize it's a challenging word. And it's an ongoing word. But boy, when you find a church, when you find a body of Christ that leans into this, that lays a hold of this, there's nothing like it. You know, I was telling Stephanie, one of the things that I'm loving right now about Shoreline Community Church is that when you look around and you see how many people are involved, how many people are engaging, we have new people here and they're showing up each week and you're just doing things and everything from the greeting to the band to the kiss mystery, all these things happening, it's, it's just fun. It's just fun to come together and just to do that and enjoy that. But it's been laid with a lot of this stuff. Because see, when I walk in forgiveness with you, we, we can work things out. When you walk in forgiveness with me, it's a commitment. We're, we're going to work things out. We, we do that with our, with, our, with our families. I know some of you are going through tough things. But boy, when you work that out and when you walk those things out, it's tough. It's hurtful. It takes time. You know, Jesus was never in a hurry. One of the things that a lot of commentators would say that if we could go back and walk with Jesus, we'd be surprised how slow things went. <laughs> I mean, the Old Testament, you know, this guy waited seven years for someone that he asked for her hand in marriage, and then he had to wait another seven years, and you know, it's, it, it just gets messy after that. Steph and I were dating for seven months, <laughs> and the Lord worked it out. 
That's not marital advice, by the way. (laughs) But here's the thing. We had to walk through a lot of forgiveness for each other, walking things out. That's just one example of the many. When we walk this out, when we commit to it, it's what family is. As the body of Christ, when we walk this stuff out, this is what holds the body of Christ together versus this. Our community needs to see the body of Christ doing this. It's not about the show. It's about the body coming together and saying, you know what? If we have stuff, we're going to work it out. We're going to walk it out, and we're going to give time. Not, well, I told them I was sorry, and they still had a hard time with it. Things take time. Walking it out. Work it out. Talk to people. Get with somebody that you can walk these things through. It is transformative. Amen? Amen. Thank you for being here today. Let me encourage you to engage with this. Next week is Palm Sunday. Saturday, we're doing an incredible work day. We walk through Holy Week. We have this amazing uh, Good Friday experience that we do. Boy, be a part of that. Thursday, the day before Friday, you didn't hear it in the announcements, we have uh, Greg Keener, who's been called one of the most foremost Pentecostal theologians of our time. Uh, it was a last-minute thing. We're hosting him. We're, we're doing it uh, for pastors in the area, but it's open to anybody from 1 to 3 on that Thursday. He will be here to talk about his new book, to talk about the Asbury Revival, and just, um, and just, um, just an amazing opportunity. Again, uh, it's Thursday at 1 to 3, but uh, anyone is, is welcome. If you're free from 1, 1 to 3, just an amazing opportunity. But the Lord is building. The Lord's investing. He's walking in. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for making this so much fun and encouraging for me. I mean that sincerely. I can't wait to get here and to see all of you. Amen. If you're interested in membership, join us for lunch. But this is our benediction. Doesn't mean you got to go. You can hang out. But here we go. The benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go. And live for Jesus. Love you all so very much. God bless.